It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Election College, episode 270, William Howard Taft, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. He's been all over the world, Ben. He's been to the Philippines, he's been to Cuba has been everywhere wanting to be a Supreme Court justice and he still hasn't found what he was looking for all because of that integrity thing you know yeah like he could have totally been somebody who would have just said yep I'm out of here Philippines or yep I'm out of here Cuba I'm going to the Supreme Court but no William Howard Taft he is going to complete the task at hand until right before 1908 when Theodore Roosevelt says, Hey, (laughs) Will, buddy, you're my handpicked successor. And Nellie is saying, yes. And Will is saying, (laughs) okay, everybody, (laughs) I want you to be happy with me. Um, He's like, can I I still be Supreme Court justice after that? Is that cool? (laughs) Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get your turn. (laughs) So in 1908, William Howard Taft, he gets the nomination quite quickly um, because Theodore Roosevelt is very popular and the Republicans are going to do whatever they can to make sure that they're making TR happy. Right. And they're not just doing whatever they can. He's basically threatening their jobs or maybe he's not doing it directly, but their jobs are being threatened if they don't support Taft. So... There's a lot of people who are supporting Taft at this point who are in the government. Taft is running against William Jennings Bryan. We've done episodes about William Jennings, William Jennings Bryan. I always want to put an S on William, so it's Williams, but you don't, you don't put an S on there. Uh, he, of course, is running for the third time in only four different elections as the Democratic nominee. And let's just say people are listening to him, but... He's also not really gaining a whole lot of new supporters. Man, he's like the Buffalo Bills in the 1990s, That's 1980s. True. Oh, man. Always getting right to the where you're going to win the Super Bowl and you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. William Jennings Bryan. Man. <laughs> 
So Taft really kind of screws up the opening of his campaign. He goes down to Roosevelt's home, and he is getting advice on his speech, his acceptance speech, and saying that he you know, he wants to get his, his criticism, maybe his judgment and everything. And a lot of people don't really like this. They think it shows him as being weak, not having his own mind, uh, really trying too hard to please maybe even President Roosevelt. And so this is not something that goes over terribly well. But as you'll see, his campaign does continue pretty well overall. Yeah, Nellie didn't really care for the Roosevelt regime, <laughs> as uh-huh. it were. And TR didn't care. Um, but all of the critics um, would say that Taft, uh, T-A-F-T, stood for take advice from Theodore. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, Taft wins, 321 to 162 in the Electoral College. Now, that was only just over half of the popular vote, but that doesn't matter. It's just the way things happen. And so Taft is inaugurated in March of 1909, and TR takes off. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Africa, and I'm going to go safari and kill some wild animals. (laughs) That would not be a very popular thing to do today, but why not? And Taft with his epic mustache. We haven't said anything about the mustache, but... I feel like we should probably just quit now because we failed so hard on that. Oh, man. Election College podcast is now ending (laughs) because we failed to mention the facial hair, but uh, epic, epic handlebar. And it's worth noting that he's the last president to have facial hair. Yeah. Man, that, when's that going to happen again? We've never had a good again? one since. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there were other things that he did. One thing I find really interesting about the Taft administration, and this has to be because he spent some time in East Asia, is a lot of our presidents, and you could say McKinley, yeah, he, he did some things with China, quite a bit with China, but Taft makes it a priority in his foreign policy to work with the Asian nations. And this had a lot of support, but it had a lot of not support out West where there was a lot of racism going on. But Taft spent a lot of time bargaining and uh, developing relations with uh, the Asian countries. There was also not a lot of friendly things going on with the European countries because let's face it, Great Britain and France, they had certain expectation based on previous administrations who thought that, oh yeah, the United States, we're going to do this and that for the European countries. Taft wasn't necessarily having that. And that played out big time in South America, especially when it came to the Panama Canal. That was under construction Uh, during Taft's term, and Taft was all about saying, you know, this is going to bring about world peace. I don't care about you, Europe. (laughs) Um, We're going to do our own thing. That didn't always play out the way he had hoped it would, but yeah, he wasn't going to be beholden to the European nations. Yeah, and there's a whole lot of things that Taft dealt with with tariffs and 
uh, reciprocity with other nations as well. And, you know, those are really important things during this time period because it's that that age of industrialism where we're really seeing a lot of new technology come about. And so these things have far-reaching impact. We won't get into all the nitty-gritty of them, uh, of course, right now. But know that, I mean, some of the things that were... Uh, that were brought up even went as far to have Supreme Court opinions and everything. So it was a big deal. And we we think nowadays about tariffs, and we think it sounds boring and just sounds like a tax, and it is in a lot of sense, but it it really has a, law, a far-reaching effect. Now, when it comes to conservation, we all hold TR in high esteem for all he did with the national parks and... Uh, conservation and and all of that. Taft was like, yeah, I'm I'm for the environment and I'm for conservation, but dude, TR was doing executive order after executive order. Uh, that needs to be accomplished through legislation rather than executive order. So, so Taft's approach definitely was different than. Theodore Roosevelt, thus ticking off Roosevelt when he comes back to America. <laughs> I get the feeling it wasn't terribly difficult to tick off Theodore Roosevelt. Like we see him now as you know literally a teddy bear, uh, but I think a lot of people probably did not have such kind encounters with him. Yeah, I wonder with all of the media, you know, and for Theodore Roosevelt, he pretty much had the media in his back pocket. You know, just ever since he was governor of New York, he knew how to do a press conference. Taft, he didn't have that going for him. He was more of a quiet guy. He didn't involve the media. And so history reflects that as not seeing as um, more the abrasive side of Roosevelt uh, and probably not the shrewdest side of Taft, even though Taft was able to negotiate deals and things like that. He wasn't as good as playing the political game. We did mention briefly how Theodore Roosevelt uh, would keep African-Americans in their federal jobs. He wouldn't necessarily hire new folks, but he would keep the ones who were there. Taft comes in and he says he is not going to appoint African-Americans to federal jobs because it's going to just cause too much friction uh, racially. And this, you know, this doesn't really go over well. One, for the people who are very much screaming for uh, civil rights, they're out there, they're having rallies, etc. And he says this to them. And then it's also not good for the individuals, the African-American individuals who are already in office, who are already appointed, because it emboldens the crew of people who don't want them there to come and attack them for whatever the case may be. And so some uh, of the things that were uh, involved with civil rights were also involved in immigration. And so kind of one of Taft's small olive branches, I guess you could say, Congress had passed a bill that would uh, also be supported by the labor unions that would have said that unskilled laborers had to have a literacy test. And, of course, this is going to eliminate pretty much all African-Americans at this point in history and, of course, many people who are immigrants. And so Taft vetoes that bill, thereby 
giving them a little bit of credit, but not a lot. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, back to the judiciary. Yeah. (laughs) Insult to injury? I don't know. But here you have William Howard Taft. He is the president of the United States. Who wouldn't love to be president of the United States? Well, I I would not. I, I wouldn't either. But, you know, if you're in politics and you've made it that far, and there you are, you're sitting in the White House doing your thing, you really want to be on the Supreme Court and there are six vacancies that occur <laughs> during Taft's one term. Oops, spoiler alert. One term as president, he appoints six people to the Supreme Court. That was only outdone up until that time by George Washington, in case you didn't know, he was the first president. So it was kind of on him to appoint. I always thought Ben Franklin was the first president. <laughs> oh. See, I don't even know anything. You don't know anything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So it is noteworthy that Taft appoints six people to positions that he would love to have had. But up until this point, just doesn't get. He's got to be just screaming at the top of his lungs when this is happening. Or do you think he was just in his mind going, well, I'm making people happy. Yeah, that's true. That's possible, I suppose. I don't know. He's making me happy with his mustache. (laughs) So, okay. Roosevelt is over in, you know, across the Atlantic doing whatever he's doing over there. He's gone for a little over a year. He and Taft do not write back and forth to each other. They've been really close before. And, you know, everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, when he's ready, he'll he'll send me a letter. And the other guy's like, well, when he's ready, he'll send me a letter. They're, they're both, they both know the other one's busy and don't want to interrupt each other. Well, they kind of grow apart a little bit. And when Roosevelt comes back from all of his gallivanting around the world, Taft says, hey, why don't you come and stay at the White House? And former president, former president says, nah, I don't think so. I not going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell everybody else that I don't really like the way things you're doing and the way you're performing in the job. And uh, meanwhile, he tells Taft, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll get renominated, And uh, yeah, you'll be the president again. Meanwhile, he doesn't tell him that he's going to run as a candidate as well in 1912. But we'll get to that point. That's some other day. So what happens when you spend too much time abroad, you become more radically progressive. That's just what happens and taft is like um i am the president and i'm gonna be reelected." and you know this is a little bit different for taft because he's really taking a stand uh, for himself uh, and he does have some help one of his buddies archbold butt uh, was somebody who was going to be very loyal to Taft, but tragically, but goes to Europe on vacation and he sails home on 
the Titanic and he dies. And that's that's going to mess up your day. Yeah. And this was devastating to Taft. This was one of his only links to previous Republican presidents who is going to be loyal to him. We all know the story. Roosevelt says, I'm not going to run. And then he says, forget that. I am going to become the next president of the United States because let's face it. America needs me. It's 1912. Let's do it. It splits the Republican Party. The progressives go with Roosevelt to form the Progressive Party or the Bull Moose Party. And Taft is left with the Republican establishment. Taft gets nominated on the first ballot at the RNC. But yeah, the Roosevelt delegates are like, we're not going to vote for that. We're going to do our own thing. (laughs) Turns out that if you would have taken Roosevelt and Taft together, they would have smoked Democrat Woodrow Wilson. But united we stand, divided we fall. The Republicans fall. Wilson becomes the president. Roosevelt goes back to hunting. (laughs) (laughs) And Taft tries to figure out, hmm. What does a guy like me have to offer the world? Well, he has going back to Yale to offer. So he goes back to Yale and teaches and he writes articles and he does his best to maintain a positive relationship with President Woodrow Wilson. And this relationship is quite unique because... Wilson even uh, gives Taft um, the privilege of speaking to the League to Enforce Peace, uh, which was a forerunner to the League of Nations. Okay, Jason. So there he is. He's in the, the League of Nations. It's all coming down to the end here. The 1920 election is happening, and Taft, of course, supports the Republican ticket. Warren G. Harding is on the ballot, as well as Calvin Coolidge, and they get elected, and Taft is asked to go to the president's home. He wants to advise him on, he wants to ask for his advice on a couple different appointments, and they get together, and basically Harding's like, hey, so Taft, you, I'm sure they call each other by their last names all the time. Yeah. You want to, uh, you want to be on the Supreme Court? I, I mean, if you want, I'll just... I'll go ahead and say that you're on there. And Taft says, yes, but I only will accept the chief justice position. (laughs) And Harding's like, silence. And so later on, Taft sends a thank you note, says that same condition again and lets him know, and basically says that the current chief justice that Taft had appointed pretty much always told him that he was going to keep the position for Taft until a Republican held the White House. And finds out a little while later, he's going to get the chance to appoint him. And it's a good thing because the current Chief Justice is in some failing health. So the guy who is currently the Chief Justice, White, he is not doing so well. And Harding gets sworn in on March 4th, 1921, and still nothing happens. You would think that he would have resigned when the new president came in, but he didn't. 
So Taft calls White up and says, hey, uh, what's up, man? I, am I going to get your job now? And White's like, no, nah, I'm a little sick, but it, it's fine. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing this. Uh, and he does keep doing it until he passes away in May of 1921. Of course, Taft is, I'm sure, excited about the uh, possibility of becoming the Chief Justice, but also uh, he is sad because he had appointed him and knew him well, uh, so he offers a tribute up to him. Uh, Harding is like, all right, I'm going to take my time with this decision, and again, Taft is left just kind of wondering if he's ever going to get to be on the Supreme Court. So with White now being dead and the situation being very, very favorable when you look at it through the annals of history, President Harding names Taft as his nominee on June the 30th, 1921. The Senate quickly convenes. They confirm Taft 61 to 4. There were no committee hearings. And there was only a brief debate in the executive session. So really not much of a uh, debate at all. He had sworn in on July the 11th, 1921 as Chief Justice of the United States. Will finally got his dream. It's worth noting that Taft was not willing to be just an associate justice because, you know, he had appointed some of these guys to the Supreme Court, and he thought that would be awkward. But yeah, there he is. How much? Then he lost a lot of weight um, from when he was president. You know, you hear that story about how he got stuck in a bathtub, which is not true. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> he was like on the Atkins diet before the Atkins diet was big. He uh, quit eating bread, and he lost. I mean, it was probably seventy or eighty pounds. So a slimmer William Howard Taft is wearing a gown. That's right. Now, there are some things that Taft did that were big time and still lasting as a Supreme Court justice. One big thing that Taft did as Supreme Court justice is he establishes the Supreme Court as being quite powerful. So powerful in that he pushed heavily for the Supreme Court to get its own building. If you've been to the Capitol, you know that in the old Senate chamber, that's where the Supreme Court convened. They didn't have their own location. Taft made sure uh, with the approval of Congress and the executive branch that land was acquired just outside the Capitol and a awesome (laughs) marble fortress of a building was built largely because of William Howard Taft. He did not get to um, preside over the court in the new building, but oh my goodness, that building has William Howard Taft all over it. Definitely. Uh, That makes me think, Jason, this is not directly related to Taft, but when we were at the Capitol building, I just... First of all, you never realize how small anything actually is in real life when you see it on TV all the time. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm talking about the, the House and the Senate chambers and everything. They just look so much bigger on TV, but they're not. Uh, the thing about the Supreme Court chambers in the Capitol, yeah, they're 
stinking tiny. And so you're thinking, like, if they're going to get their own building, then surely it's going to be bigger. Well, the actual courtroom inside the Supreme Court building is probably the smallest room in the entire building. It's insane (laughs) how big that building is and how tiny that courtroom is. And, I mean, I guess it makes sense because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of offices and aides and everything going back and forth. But I I was just so amazed. I I expected it to be just gigantic. And it's simply not. The shocking thing to me, and I've said this on the podcast before, is just when you open the door and there they are. Like, the justices. Yeah. I, I honestly never have I been in a room with that many famous people. (laughs) just unreal and i mean maybe they're just famous to me but oh my goodness there they are sleeping while hearing cases yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. i'm sure they aren't sleeping it just looks like it and then they're snoring too sometimes just very serious looking no so jason mentioned that uh taft ends up losing a bunch of weight towards the end of his presidency and he continues to lose weight after that And unfortunately, his health also starts to go down. And he had pretty much, at that point, uh, really started exercising more and walking a few miles each day. And he had, like, little paths made out. Well, at the inauguration of President Hoover, President Taft, or Chief Justice. Yeah, what do you call him? Chief Justice Justice President. uh, Says part of the oath incorrectly. And this is a big deal because he's been around for so long and he just maybe isn't remembering things so well. Well, his health continues to go down and he says in 1929, he writes, I am older and slower and less acute and more confused. However, as long as things continue as they are and I am able to answer to my place, I must stay on the court in order to prevent the Bolsheviki from getting control. And, um, yeah, the, it, things just continue to go down from there. His brother, Charles, who had helped him so much uh, in the decades leading up to his ascension to the presidency, uh, passes away in on the last day of 1929. And Will travels back to Cincinnati to attend the funeral. This has quite the detrimental effect on his health. The court reconvenes on January 6th. 1930, and Taft still had not been able to get back to Washington. Uh, This was because of sickness. He goes to Asheville, North Carolina, which is where everybody should go for a rest because it's absolutely beautiful there. Um, But he can barely speak and is even suffering from hallucinations. He gets to Washington on February 3rd and submits his resignation, and by the time March 8th rolls around, he's dead. So a few days after he passes away, they bury him at Arlington National Cemetery. He is not only the first president, but he's also the first member of the Supreme Court to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery. And that's kind of cool. Obviously, there are a few other uh, presidents now buried at Arlington as well, but he was the first. And, you know, people say that, of course, Taft is, a, is a one that we remember a little more often, uh, at least I do, and I feel like other people have at least heard of him in the past, unlike some presidents we've had. But 
he doesn't really get credit for a lot of the things that he did and a lot of the things that he put in place, such as the trust and antitrust and tariffs and stuff like that, he doesn't get the credit for it and the notoriety for it, and we don't think about them as much. Yeah, and while he's kind of seen as a middle of the pack as far as popularity as a president, I mean, my goodness, he does have um, one of the mascots for the Washington Nationals baseball team is William Howard Taft, mm-hmm. because it's probably because of his awesome mustache True. and his physique and his love of baseball and by the way rumor has it that the reason you have the seventh inning stretch is because taft loved going to the baseball games and he would stand up at the seventh inning and out of respect for the president everybody would stand up for that um that may or may not be true i like to think that it is true but i don't think it is (laughs) anyway yeah, he's seen as just kind of an average president. Now, as far as Supreme Court justices, he's considered one of the more popular chief justices of the Supreme Court. Uh, this might be because he was the president. So those reputations probably work hand in hand. Definitely. And our reputation works hand in hand with our listeners. And what I mean by that is that in order for us to have a great reputation, we need your help to tell other people. And you can do that by leaving us a review over on iTunes, or you can recommend this on the Overcast app as well. Uh, If you head over to iTunes, you can just leave a short little review, give us a rating. Hopefully it's great. And we really appreciate that. It helps new people find out everything they need to know about the show. Yeah. When you subscribe to the podcast, I talked about this. I waxed eloquently the last episode about angels singing and so on but there's probably a mascot somewhere doing a happy dance when that happens as well hey speaking of happy dances and all we love hearing from you when you interact with us on social media so you can look us up at election college on facebook twitter and instagram thank you all very much talk to you next time